0: The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter.
1: Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we, uh, we open your word and we trust, Lord, that you will speak to us. God, we ask that you would, by your spirit, communicate to us the truth of your word. And I, and I pray that in doing that, that you would change our lives, that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts to know your word and your truth, that we would love it today, that we would hate sin today. That we would uh, recognize who we are in light of who you are. So I pray, speak to us in your word today and uh, change us that we would glorify you in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I always feel bad when I have to lead singing when my voice is. Not 100%, so I'm sorry you had to suffer through that. Uh, But um, I'm glad to be here uh, this morning, and um, it's been a little while, I feel like, since I've been up here. Not doing Wednesdays gives me a long time in between with Jimmy uh, uh, preaching last Sunday. But we are in John, and we are finishing up chapter 1 today. And I want to remind you of John's intention... John's purpose in writing his book, in writing this gospel, what is his purpose in everything that he says, every word that he says, and every phrase that he communicates to us, in every story that he tells, he has a purpose in mind. Everything that he says, everything that he's written, all is working towards one single goal. And we remember that. It's in John 20, verses 30 and 31. And it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, again, this was his intention. This is his purpose. This is what he wants us to get out of reading from the beginning of John all the way to the end. The whole point is that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we might have faith in his name and that we might become children of God through faith in him. So we have to ask, when we get to a portion of scripture like this, how does this portion of scripture drive home his point of us coming to know that Jesus is the Christ, and that we might have faith and become children of God? So we read a portion of scripture like this. uh, It's kind of just a story, but we have to ask the question, how does this fit into the grand scheme of things in the book of John? We could ask... What uh, what about this gives us motivation to believe that Jesus is the Christ? Or we could ask a question: What happens when someone believes on Jesus? Or how does the process work that someone becomes a child of God? What does that look like? And I think we see all those this morning in the text. We see the process of people coming to know that Jesus is the Christ. We have the testimony that was given from John the Baptist. And we're going to see that testimony handed off to individuals. And they take it and they hand it off to someone else. And they take it and they hand it off to someone else. And we see people acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. So that's what we see happening in our story today. But we're going, to, we're going to look at it based on the people that he's interacting with. So first, we're going to look at John and Andrew. And <clears throat> we see that in verses 35 through 39. So let's look at the, the story here about John and Andrew. It says... The next day, and of course that next day is the day after Jesus' uh, baptism. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus and he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now it doesn't say right here who the two disciples are. But if we look down further at verse 40, it says that one of them was Andrew. So we know that at least one of those is Andrew. The other one is never named. And the only other person who is never named in the book of John is John himself. He never names himself. So the two people in question here, the two disciples that heard were John and Andrew, all right? So two of the disciples, he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, you have to put yourself into this story. Whenever you're reading a story, it's really helpful. Put yourself in there and imagine that you are one of the two disciples, okay? I'm standing there. John is my teacher. John the Baptist is, is my teacher. He's my He's he's, he's my leader. I look up to him. Everything I know comes from him. And uh, a guy walks by, which he had already proclaimed the day before that this is the Son of God. We saw his baptism. And uh, he walks by. John the Baptist looks at Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, what he doesn't do is he doesn't turn to John and Andrew and say to them, Pay attention. That's Jesus. He is. He was teaching them in the moment. It's really important that we get that. It's part of the story. John the Baptist is not trying to encourage his disciples to say, can't you see that he is the Christ? John the Baptist makes a statement. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, it says, we keep reading, the two disciples heard him say this. Now, why doesn't it say John said to the disciples? Because that's not what happened. John was not speaking to the disciples. Okay, It makes it a little different in part of the story. He doesn't turn to his disciples and say, Behold the Lamb of God. He's not presenting Jesus. But he makes a statement. The two disciples hear the statement made. right? They follow Jesus. Not because someone twisted their arm. Not because someone was trying to convince them that Jesus was the Christ. But they, they heard the testimony that Jesus is the Christ. They looked at each other. They said, Yeah. We think that's true. Or... Let's hear a little bit more about that. They follow Jesus. Now, when it says follow, you need to not think in the terms of take up your cross and follow me. Because what it literally means here is they, they, I mean, they just literally followed him. He was walking, and they walked behind him. Okay? So don't think too spiritual yet. Okay? It, it's a very practical thing. Jesus was walking by. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, John and Andrew begin to walk behind him. Okay, so the two disciples they heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Thirty-eight. Jesus turned and saw them following. So Jesus is just walking. He doesn't say to them, "Follow me." Right? Jesus has nothing to do with the situation yet, other than he just walked by. Of course, did he walk by there by coincidence or by accident or just happenstance? Did he happen to walk by right then? No. Of course, all this is 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 by intention. Jesus walks by, John and Andrew follow, Jesus is walking, he turns around and he looks at them, you guys are following me, it's creepy when someone just walks behind me, Uh, you guys are following me, he asked them the question, what are you seeking, or what are you looking for, some of your Bibles might say, what are you after, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying, he said to them, come and you will see, And they came and they saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. I am uh, terrible at finding things. (laughs) I, uh, especially if it's something I don't really want to find. Like I, I hate taking medicine, like liquid medicine. I just, I, I just thinking about it right now just makes me cringe. I don't like taking medicine. So uh, if ever there's a circumstance where Amanda says, you know, you probably should take this. And I go and I, I, I open the door, or the cabinet or whatever. I go to look for it and I say, I don't see it. I don't, I don't, it's not in there. It's not that I'm lying. I mean, I just, I look and I don't know. I don't see it. It's not, I not or maybe it's something that I'm, I'm not too concerned about actually finding, right? There are two circumstances in my life where I actually found something that I'm proud of, okay? I'm going to tell you both of those circumstances. One was when we used to have uh, sheep and goats, and uh, I was feeding them one day. had a big uh, uh, bale of hay, and I was sort of, you know, taking it out of the bale. I don't know the word for that, but I was like getting it all out, and, uh, and, and, uh, and I was giving it to him. Well, anyway, I, I made a big pile on the ground, and I stood up, and I realized my wedding ring wasn't on my finger, and it was almost night outside. Well, I obviously wanted to find my wedding ring, and so I started looking all around. I mean, I, it, it's like the same color as my ring, Right? And so I'm looking everywhere. I can't find it. Well, it gets dark outside. I go get a flashlight. I'm like, I mean, I looked for a long time for this wedding. ring. finally, I was just moving the flashlight, and I saw a little, you know, just a little flicker of light because it caught my ring, you know, and I finally found it. I was proud of that. The other thing is uh, also having to do with Amanda's wedding ring. But we, uh, we were folding laundry one day, we had been out all day. Amanda, for some reason, looked down at her wedding ring, and she noticed that the diamond was missing. It was just just the, uh, the little mount you know, for it, whatever that's called. There's no diamond. No, we had been gone all day, and she had just noticed it, though. So, I mean, it could be anywhere. And, you know, a, a diamond is not something, well, we'll just replace it. You know, that's, that's probably not going to happen. Um, it's just going to be a blank ring. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, so anyway, I, I really wanted to find that, and we looked forever. Uh, and we were tearing the house apart for some reason. I said, I'm just gonna go look in the kitchen. I, ne- I never find anything, okay? Something needs to be found, uh, the girls need to find something. I just, I by default say, You need to go ask mommy. <laughs> I c- I'm not gonna be able to help you find it. I can't find anything. Um, and uh, um, Anyway, I went, in the, I went in the kitchen, I got on my hands and knees, and I just, I look, I, I got on my hands and knees, and I just looked, and immediately, immediately, I saw a little glint, a little light, and, and I found it. Uh, even a big diamond is small, you know, and I found this diamond on the middle of our kitchen floor. It looked just like a, you know, like a piece of sand from a distance. That's how small it looked from a distance, you know, when I'm seeing it. And, and anyway, I found it. But it tends to be, at least for me, that if I want to find something, um, it really takes intention of seeking after it. And if I don't really want to find something, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to pay much attention to it. In our story, what's happening is that John and Andrew are seeking after the Christ, the Messiah. They say to him, Rabbi, now they already had a teacher, John the Baptist, and And when they respond to him and they say, Rabbi, they say, we had a teacher, but you are a greater teacher. We want to follow you. We want to seek after you. What are you seeking? We're seeking the Christ. Now, there's a point of application here that we really need to let sit in. And that is, how intentional are we about seeking after Christ? I mean, really, in our daily lives, how intentional are we about seeking after Christ? You can be intentional about a lot of things in your life. If you seek after it, you find it. If you really, really need a job, you seek after it. you're going to find a job. You really need 100 dollars to pay for something. you're going to figure out a way to get that money. If you really, really need something, you're going to seek after it, and you're going to most of the time, you're going to get it. Do you want Christ? Are you seeking after him? If you're not seeking after him, you're not going to find him. John and Andrew seek after Jesus. And when he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? Really, they want to say, we're going to go wherever you go. And whatever you're seeking after is what we're going to seek after. And they stayed with him in the place that he was. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And in the time when everyone traveled by foot, when it starts to get dark outside, you kind of have to find shelter for the night. And so they stayed wherever he was staying. I want to move on to Simon Peter. We're going to bring some of these things together at the end. Let's move on to Peter. Let's look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed after Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked up at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the testimony of John the Baptist goes to Andrew and John. Andrew takes that testimony and he immediately, he goes to his brother Simon Peter, of course, still called Simon at the time. In verse 41, it says he first found his own brother, Simon. Now, if there's a first, that's there on purpose. I just want you to see it now because we're going to reference it here in a second. If it says first, that means there's probably going to be a second, okay? He first went and found his brother, Simon. He said, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to him. He said, you are... Uh, you are Simon, you shall be called Cephas. Now, you know this. Uh, this is not new information here, but of course, uh, Cephas is Aramaic for rock, right? And Peter is Greek for rock. Uh, it, just means, it just means rock. And, uh, but, what's, but what is interesting about the wording here, it says, you are Simon, the son of John. But what it says here is actually in the future tense next, you will be called Cephas. You are called Simon, but you will be called Cephas. You are called now, but you will be called later. Now, there's a reference to that here. Of course, we know the story. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 18. It says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we might be tempted in a situation like this to say, well, good thing for Andrew that he had the guts to go and share the gospel with his brother Simon Peter, because if he hadn't, we'd really be missing out because we wouldn't have a bunch of scripture. We wouldn't have the leader of the apostles. So good thing Andrew went to Peter and said, we found the Messiah. Right? Who revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, Andrew did, right? Well, according to the text, according to Matthew 16, listen to it again. He replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It wasn't the testimony of the person that made you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ. But my Father who is in heaven, he is the one that revealed this to you. So all that we see happening here is that the gospel flows from person to person. That the testimony of Christ comes Through all these different accounts, it it flows down. It trickles down throughout history. The gospel is coming to individuals. But who is revealing to the hearts and minds of the people that Jesus is the Christ? Well, it's not the people, but it's the Father who is in heaven. But how is he doing it? He's doing it by means of people. We're going to see more of that here in a second. But I I also want to say, remember the story of Jonah? And God wanted a particular people to hear his word, right? And Jonah said, no. Well, God still made it happen, though, didn't he? Because he took Jonah, he disciplined him, he brought him to the point of repentance, and then he did it anyway, right? God have his way with Jonah. He knows what it takes to bring a person to the point of repentance. And he did it for him. He did it in the side, the belly of a fish. Who knows what he'll do for you? Let's look next at the story of Philip. Okay, so that's Simon Peter. It says, now the next day, okay, so we're following a progression of days here. We have the baptism of Jesus, and then we have um, uh, what we just read about Andrew, John, and and Peter and then the next day we have the story about Philip this is verses 43 and 44 the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee he found Philip and he said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter now I'm going to throw you just for a, a little bit of a loop here but I want you to look at your Bible closely these, these two verses and uh, I'm going to give you a rewording of, of some of this if you have an ESV If you have an ESV, if you have an NASB, um, it's going to be closer to the original wording, which helps us to make more sense of it. When I say original, of course, I mean from the Greek. Here's how it reads in Greek. It says, the next day he decided to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, that's a different wording than what you have in your ESV, correct? But all that's switched is personal pronouns, right? The he's. And the name Jesus is kind of switched. All right, so why is that significant? Why am I telling you that? Because who is doing the finding of Philip is the question. Did Jesus go and seek Philip out or did Andrew go and seek Philip out? Because in all the other stories, what's happening is that there is a testimony given and they move from person to person. To person, I have a little, uh, show that little chart, it's not the next slide, but there's a little chart here, it starts with uh, John the Baptist at the top, yeah look at this, here's what's happening, John the Baptist shares testimony with Andrew and John, Andrew then shares the testimony with Simon Peter and Philip, and what we're going to see is that Philip then shares that testimony with Nathaniel, so do you see the layout here? What would happen if Jesus was the one seeking Philip out? There would be a total interruption of the, of the storyline here. The idea is that the testimony of John the Baptist is being delivered to the people. That's really the point. And so the text here says the next day he decided to go into Galilee and he found Philip. Uh, there's no reason to believe that's, that's, that's Jesus. So there's no necessarily strong reason to believe other than Andrew. Because if you look back at the text just previously, something about Andrew. Okay. Um, Remember it said first he went and found out, he, he went and found his, his brother. Well, what did he do second? Second, he went and found Philip. So there were two different things that he was doing here. Okay, so that just keeps our storyline in check. So the next day he decided to go into Galilee. He found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Jesus said to him, follow me. Let's look at a little map here so we can get a layout of what's going on. This is, um, you should be familiar with, I know you can't, really see detail but it's okay you know the region here um <clears throat> it's judea there's in the middle of the map kind of in the south there's jerusalem there's the dead sea over there sea of galilee is the other little sea up top um go to the next one here's where these events are happening down at the bottom says bethany across the jordan this is where john the baptist was baptizing all right bethany across the jordan now, up at the top, there's a yellow circle. This is the region of Galilee, the region of Galilee. And in that region, we see a couple of cities that we know that are in this story. There's Nazareth, Cana, and Bethsaida. Bethsaida is just, just outside the, re, in the region of Galilee. Okay, but it says of these people, um, of several of them, that they were from Bethsaida. So you see how far north that is. Um, into the region of Galilee is about 60 miles so they were all down being bap- uh, where the baptism of John was taking place, down Bethany, across the Jordan. And then they decided to travel north 60 miles into the region of Galilee. And uh, uh, a pretty good hike, 60 miles by foot, if you can imagine that. <laughs> so that's what they decided to do that day. Um, so that gives you an idea of where everybody's at. So they found Philip. Philip was at the same place as Andrew and Peter. They went to seek him out. Now, the next thing that's significant here that I really want you to see in these stories is that there is a relationship in each one of these connections. When we see, now put that one up. That's why I had it there, that little chart. Now I want you to see that in each one of these, there is a connection. There's a relationship already had. John the Baptist had a relationship with Andrew and John. They were his disciples. Next, Andrew had a relationship with Simon, right? Obviously, he's his brother. He also had a relationship with Philip. That's why he went into Galilee to find him. He didn't go into Galilee and just find a random individual. Hey, I'm here. There's, okay, who are you? Well, My name's Philip. Hey, Philip, I found the Christ. He already knew Philip. He went to the people who were most significant in his life, and he said, we found the Christ, We found the Messiah. And what do they say? Really? Why? Because they trusted them. They trusted them. They trusted their word. And they believed. And then they're taken immediately over to Jesus. All right? So uh, Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So that's how Andrew knew him because they they were from the same city right? They are from the same city originally. Okay, so, excuse me, I'm sorry, that sounds gross. Though God is sovereign over salvation, of course we know that, God alone saves, he uses ordinary means to accomplish his purposes of salvation. I want to remind you that Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 17, just listen to this, this is again, this is a passage you know, but I just want you to listen. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing. How do people come to have faith in Christ? by an ordinary means of hearing the gospel preached from someone who preaches to them. God uses people to deliver his message. Didn't God use people to deliver his message to us in the scriptures? God uses people today. He uses you. He uses the relationships that you have in this life. How did you come to know Christ? Was there a relationship involved? Was there someone in your life that you had a relationship with? Now, looking at this map here, replace John the Baptist with your name. The question is, is there anybody under that tree where you heard the testimony of Christ and so you shared it with this person and then they shared it with someone else? And then they shared it with someone else. Is there a tree underneath your name? Or have you made yourself a dead end? What I want you to see is that God uses the relationships in your life to accomplish great things, to accomplish his purposes. But I know and I understand well that it is the people closest to us that sometimes it is the most difficult to share the message With the thing that was happening here, though, is that all the people who were receiving the message of the Christ were anticipating the Messiah coming. That's why they went to the people they went to. He went to Philip because Philip, that Andrew knew that Philip was waiting for the Messiah to come, and he said, "Philip, we found the Messiah," and he was excited. Often, what happens for us is that we share Christ with someone, and they're not very excited about it. In fact, they want you to stop talking about it. Uh, I don't really want to hear about Christ I don't really want to hear about the Bible stuff I you know I heard that growing up I don't want to hear the churchy stuff right now stop preaching at me but God uses these relationships and I want you just to stay strong in your relationships because you really honestly you never know the impact that you're having on someone's life even if you're not seeing it right now you may be having an impact on someone's (laughs) life I've heard stories about... There's just relationships matter in your life. And I want you to remember that. There might be a specific event. There might not be. It might be something that happens after you're gone. But what is that to you? What does that matter? You want some kind of satisfaction for it? Sometimes you don't get it, right? But relationships matter in this life. Are you sharing Christ with those people in your influence? Is there some kind of tree that follows underneath you of those people who you have shared Christ with? Is there a desire for those closest to you that they might know Christ? Now, these are really basic, simple questions. But sometimes, the really simple questions get lost in the more complicated questions. Maybe it's easier to debate deeper levels of theology than it is to ask a very simple question as far as are you sharing Christ in your relationships? Isn't that a much more simple question? And we can ask the other questions too and you know what? We do very often. We're, I think we're good about asking the deep questions too but you know, Let's consider that question today. It's a very simple question. It's a difficult question to follow through. Let's look and see what happens to Nathaniel. Now, you notice with each of these, it's a little different. What Jesus says to each each of them is a little different. Nathaniel, uh, verses 45 to 51. Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found him. Now, Philip says, We have found him. Philip just heard about him, okay, but he's already claimed him as his own. We found him. But what does that tell you? He's already on board. He's already excited about Jesus as the Christ. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Because Philip knew Nathanael, they had a relationship. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Now let's just pause right there. Why might he say, does anything good or can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because there's nothing written about Nazareth. He says, can anything good, that is, can anything that God might uh, ordain to happen, is any significant prophetic event? to come out of Nazareth? That's really what he's asking. And the answer to them is, well, come and find out, I guess, because that's where he's from. (laughs) Jesus is from Nazareth, and he's the Christ, so if you want to know, I just come see him. Um, But that's what he's asking. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is any significant event in God's timeline going to happen in Nazareth? And and evidently the answer is yes, it is. Um, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. Let's stop right there. Let's, let's talk about this fig tree situation. I'm going to give you three, these are pretty short, three different ways that people view this fig tree incident. Okay, Because this is an interesting story, isn't it? Uh, the guy comes up, Nathaniel comes up to Jesus, meets him for the first time. Jesus says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel, instead of saying, No, he says, How do you know me? And Jesus says, Before, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That was enough information. That right there, he didn't have to say anything else. That enough. That was enough for him to say, You are the Son of God. Okay, so that was a significant event. Whatever happened under that fig tree obviously was very significant that Jesus knew about it. Okay, so first option for what exactly happened is that uh, Nathanael actually saw a vision. Some people believe that, that Jesus fulfilled his revelation as the Messiah, that Nathanael was under a fig tree. He had a vision of the Messiah. Jesus says, however, I saw you, not you saw me. So I'm going to say that's probably really not what happened, but I just want to throw that out there. Some people think that. I don't really think that's the case. All right, these next two, though, are plausible. Second thing is that it was obviously just a proof of Jesus' identity, that Jesus saw him praying and meditating under a fig tree, that Nathanael was sitting under a fig tree. He was praying, meditating over the Word of God. He was alone with God. And Jesus says, I was there with you. And possibly he was meditating over passages of Scripture that had to deal with the Messiah, And uh, Jesus says, I was there. I saw you. And who can know prayers that we speak in quiet or when we know that we're alone? Would that be convincing to you? It would be to me. The third here, there was a symbol of Jesus' identity. Jesus knew that he had a desire for the Messiah. And there is a lot about fig trees in the Old Testament if you go and you start to look. What does a fig tree have to do with anything? First 1 Kings 4, verse 25, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. And so to them, sitting underneath a fig tree was to have peace and security and rest and all is well. If you can sit underneath a fig tree, that says for you and for your nation, all is good, right? Whatever it is for you, if you're able to go on vacation to the beach and kick back and sit there with your eyes closed, you know all is good. Well, the same thing for them with fig trees in their land because if there was war and whatever else happening, uh, famine, if there was drought, whatever it might be, they wouldn't be kicking it back under a fig tree. So when we see a fig tree mentioned, Uh, It has to do with peace and security. Now, here's what brings the Messiah and the fig tree together. Zechariah 3, verses 8 through 10. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch, capital B, the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven eyes I will engrave in its description, declares the Lord of hosts, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Of course, we know what event that was. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, in the day when sin is removed, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So really either one of those situations is okay. He was sitting, he was praying under his his fig tree. Jesus was there with him. Or he knew that he was contemplating the passages about the Messiah. Maybe he was even contemplating this passage from Zechariah. And Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of that. And so he knew. Let's look at the last verse. Verse 51. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Now what did he say just before? He said... Um, because I said to you I saw you under the fig tree do you believe you're going to see greater things than these and then what is the greater thing that he's going to see he's going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son son of man now excuse me I'm sorry I'm so low energy today not that I'm normally high energy I'm just especially low energy today so I apologize for that uh, in verse 51, he said to him, that is he said to Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you all. Okay, so he said to Nathaniel, I say to all of you, you all will see heaven open. So this wasn't something specific to Nathanael, that Nathaniel was going to see heaven open. It was, it was to everybody, but he was speaking to Nathanael. Okay, I say to all of you that you will all see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now you know that this is a reference to Jacob's ladder. Everybody knows that. Um, he dreamed a dream, Genesis twenty-eight twelve. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth; the top of it reached to the heavens, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. We kind of remember that story. Um, at the end of that passage, again, that's in Genesis twenty-eight. When Jacob awoke from his sleep after seeing this vision of a ladder reaching from earth all the way up to heaven, there are angels of God going back and forth on it. He says in verse 17, he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. I want you to look at two passages with me here. We're going to end with these two passages. I want you to look first with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens? but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens of the household of God. How is it that we can have a connection with the household of God that is a spiritual house? Questions answered and... um, I'll have to find this one for you. 1 Timothy 2 5. Thank you. 1 Timothy 2 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. When Jacob looked and he saw that there was a ladder reaching from heaven to earth and that there were angels of God ascending and descending on it, who is it who had access to those helpers? Because you know that the angels are uh, ministering spirits to those who are to receive salvation. That's what the scriptures tell us. So that angels help, they minister to us who are to inherit salvation. And uh, who is it who has access to that help? But it's those people to whom the gate of heaven has been opened. And how has it been opened? By the one mediator who works between God and men. How do you bridge that gap? Well, in this imagery with a ladder. You bridge the gap between God and and men uh, with a ladder who is Jesus Christ. And the the angels are ascending and descending on the son of man rather than on anything else. How is heaven open to us? Heaven is open to us through Jesus Christ. All right, so this is the testimony that is received to, to Nathanael. Um, so look back at all these different guys. Andrew and John, Simon Peter, Philip, and Nathanael. We have the testimony of John the Baptist. It comes to Andrew and John. Andrew takes that testimony. He delivers it to Simon Peter, his brother. He delivers it to one of his friends, Philip. Philip then takes that testimony, and he delivers it to his friend, Nathanael. They all have their own experience of coming and meeting Christ. They all have their own experience of recognizing that Jesus is the Christ. And it's done through relationships. It's done through word transmission from mouth to mouth, from person to person. Sometimes we get into a situation to where we believe that God is just going to do what he wants to do, so I might as well not do anything. God is going to do what he wants to do, so I'm going to kick back and do what I want to do while he does what he wants to do. Or you might think, God can't use me to do anything. God won't use me. God's not using me to do anything. What I want you to be encouraged with in this passage this morning, and again, it's a very simple situation, is that God is using ordinary means to bring people to the recognition that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. And what happens after that? What happens after that is that people believe, not because the people convinced them to believe that Jesus was the Christ, but because the Father revealed to them that he was the Christ, and so they believed. I'm going to read one last passage here. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. That is, Jesus saw two brothers. The brothers were Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, this story we remember really well. This happened after the story we just read. Simon, Peter, and Andrew already knew Jesus. They are casting their nets into the sea, and they were fishermen. He said, follow me, and I will make you fish as a man. Immediately they left their nets to follow him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Now John also already knew. Do you think that John possibly shared the gospel with his brother? I would say very likely the case. In the boat with them, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and and their father, and they followed him. Now I was always told that this was the initial call of the disciples but in reality it's not it's they already knew that jesus was a the christ they had already talked to him they had already had a relationship with him but they went about their business and then when it was time for them to go on mission jesus called them and they immediately left everything i want to encourage you this morning that the transformation of a believer's life is not instantaneous Sometimes we read a story like this and we think, man, they had it all together. Jesus said, follow me. They left everything and they followed him right away. Right? Well, that's not really what happened. But instead, they had an encounter with Jesus. They went about with daily life. They were working a job. And then in the midst of working that and being faithful, Jesus called them to a task. And when Jesus called them to a task, they were faithful to finish it. When Jesus encountered Simon Peter, he said, You are Simon, but you will be Peter. And it wasn't until much later that we recognized what that meant. It wasn't until much later when Peter recognized what that meant. Right? Was Simon immediately transformed into this super apostle, leader of the apostles? Or did it take time? It took time. <laughs> These, relation, these relationships matured over time. The, their, their spiritual lives matured over time. God, God used them in a very ordinary means. And sometimes what we do is we say, well, that was them. That was their supernatural life. And now were there supernatural things happening there? Well, without a doubt. I mean, Jesus was around. Jesus was their friend. Yes, yeah, supernatural things were happening. But don't you know that they were people just like you and like me? makes the big difference here is having faith when jesus calls listening to him believing that he is the christ we're going to have our times when we're just going through regular daily life then we're going to have times when we're on mission for christ and you know what you'll probably go back to daily life again and then you'll have a time when you're on mission for christ and probably go back to daily life after that, right? What's the difference in the meantime? It's the faithful life. The faithful life in the meantime is something that we have to continually consider because I know that for people in this room, I know right now in this moment you feel like you're just in that mundane part of life where you're just kind of floating through life and I'm not really feeling like I'm on mission for God. Well, then seek him out. Seek him out. Jesus walks by, behold, the Lamb of God. And you say, eh, I know. I'm not too worried about that today. I actually don't feel very good today. I'll worry about that maybe tomorrow if he walks by. But I'm not too concerned about it today. That's the way we seek Jesus out most days. Jesus said to the first two, John and Andrew, what are you seeking? I'm seeking the Christ. I'm going to follow him out. I want to encourage you to seek Christ today. Seek Christ in your relationships. Seek Christ in your work, in your mundane work. Seek Christ in everything that you're doing. And listen for his voice to speak to you. It's been said, and I think it's been said very well. If you want to hear God speak to you, read his word. Now, if you want to hear God speak audibly, then read the Bible out loud. I think that's a great great way for us to approach that. You feel like God's not speaking to you, God's not calling you, God's not saying anything to you, then read his word. Seek him out. Okay? I'm saying this to the individuals in this room. All right? I could meet with you individually and say it to you all, but there's an overwhelming sense of a lull, and I think maybe it's a little bit associated with the weather. Don't we all kind of feel like that? But listen, when you're in a low place, you need to remember that God is the God of your life. He is sovereign over your life. He is worthy to be praised and followed and sought after every single day. Seek him out. Seek him out in his word. Listen to what he said. He is a God who speaks. He's a God who speaks right now. I hope you've heard him today. Let's pray.